Welcome to The Chapel Online. At The Chapel, we're about helping people meet, know, and follow Jesus on the campus, in the city, and around the world. Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome to the chapel. And I got something to celebrate today. <clears throat> Not just are we excited about ESL and ways you can serve, um, but Miss Wendy Jordan, who you saw on the video, is actually our new Segan administrative assistant. Um, so starting next Tuesday, she will be the face of the place here at Segan. Really excited about that. And if you want to come by and see me, really, you just want to see her because she's so much greater than me. I'm um, so really excited. She's not just serving, but now joining our team here at the chapel. And also, we're really excited that this weekend is Fourth of July weekend. Um, the thought that independence was just something that happened because it was the 4th of July, and I thought it was just the day that was special. My brother was born July 8th, so I thought that made him more special than me, but then my grandma was born July 5th, and I knew she was special, so I was like, there's something special about that day, but really it's a celebration of freedom um, that we have in our country, and super, super excited about that, but it's not just the freedom we have in our country that we want to celebrate today. Um, it's really God's heart for all of the nations, and that's what we're going to see when we dive into Psalm chapter 67. Um, but before we go there, the whole idea of our psalm series so far is not just learning to pray and praise, but this idea of blessing, this idea of living a blessed life. Our first um, sermon in the series, Psalm chapter 1, we called it hashtag blessed. Um, one, because that's just a corny thing on Instagram. But two, there were 430 million posts with the tag hashtag blessed. And as we looked at that, we're like, okay, what in the world does that even mean? Because your idea of blessing might be totally different than my idea of blessing. Mine is a big piece of deer meat with gravy, and yours might be a Tesla. I'm not exactly sure what your blessing is. So we went to Scripture and said, okay, what does God mean by blessing? And it's the Hebrew word asherah, which means joy. It means being rooted, understanding, and experiencing His glory. And today we're going to see God indeed wants us to have a blessed life. But the blessed life isn't just having a happy, go lucky, excited, joy filled life. The blessed life actually has something tagged on to it. There's actually a so that when it comes to the blessed life. And that's what we're going to see in Psalm 67. In Psalm 67, we started the service all by reading it. It has lots of scripture already interwoven in it. We say go back to Genesis chapter 12 and God's covenant with Abraham. We looked at Abraham and said, look, you're an old geezer and your wife's well upon in age, but I'm going to make you not just a family. I'm going to make you into a great nation. And we see God truly bless Abraham and ultimately the nation of Israel was born. We see the, the promise or the blessing of Aaron, Moses' brother, actually kind of show up in this passage and we even see the great commissions, I don't know if y'all knew there was more than one, of Jesus, not just Matthew 28, but also Mark 16 and Acts chapter 1, John 20, and Luke as well. We see it interwoven in here even before Christ came. And we see the mission of Paul in Romans chapter 15, verses 9 through 12 show up. And we see really a meta-narrative or this meta-theme of Scripture, that idea of blessing just for us isn't really the idea of God, but really a blessing for a purpose. And we see that ultimately we're to do this. We're to seek God's blessing in our life so that, and you're going to get tired of hearing these words so that because they're all throughout this passage, so that we can share it with the nations. Now, is there anything wrong with wanting a blessed life? Absolutely not. But it's so much more than just having it. It's so that we can share it with the nations because our God is not just a God of America. He's not just the God of the chapel, not just the God of Israel. He is the God of all the world and all of 
the nations. You're going to hear me say the word nations and peoples. I'm not just misspeaking and putting an S where it's not supposed to be. That's speaking of people groups, ethnic groups. This is how God sees people throughout the scripture is with different nations, with ethnicities and groups. So that's what we mean by nations. And here at the chapel, we are all about the nations. We're all about missions. Missions isn't just something that we do. It is what we do, but we have to understand where our root of missions, of taking the gospel, where it's not, where it is really born. And this is something I shared at our LSU location last week, and it's a quote from John Piper, and it says this. It says that missions exist because worship doesn't. Missions, strategic missions, strategically planning to take the gospel exist because worship doesn't. I actually have a book by him um, that I had to steal from somebody on staff because Amazon was out of them. Um, but you can come take a picture of this. Just don't take it because I stole it and you can't steal it from a stealer. I'm going to have it up here called Let the Nations Be Glad. And I don't agree with everything John Piper says about everything, but when it comes to missions and worship and the glory of God, that book is just really, really Rich, But I'm going to do something that not many people probably should do or are willing to do. I'm going to adjust his statement a little bit, and I'm going to put in parentheses what I would add to it. I would say missions exist because true worship doesn't happen in our hearts. And let me explain what that means. We have to strategically plan how we're going to take the gospel to different places because we aren't truly worshiping God in our heart. Because if we would, it would be a natural outflow. There wouldn't have to be procedures. There wouldn't have to be guilt. There wouldn't have to be recruitment. It would simply be we love and worship God so much that it outflows into every part of our life. So the reason why missions exist is because we, as the church, don't truly worship. But really the root of it isn't this change, it's this, this next change. Missions exist because worship doesn't in all the nations and all the peoples of the world. Guys, God didn't come just for us in the church to worship him. He came so that all of the world might know him. And if all the world truly knows him, then all the world truly enjoys him. If all the world enjoys him, then all the world will worship him. Guys, worship, mission, glory is not a man-centered, church-centered thing. It is a God-centered thing. And when we begin to kind of see, the, see it through that lens, see scripture, see salvation through a lens of who God is instead of what we need from him, then we begin to understand what true worship is. Now, and I find worship and mission in this way, and again, I stole this from Piper because the book is just really, really rich. It says, the goal of missions is the gladness of the peoples and the greatness of God. Is it just to save their soul? No. Is it part of that? Yes. And we'll unpack what all that means in just a minute. But really, the goal of missions is for us to get our eyes off of the sin of the world and put it on the glory of God. That's what God wants, is for us to see his greatness. And because of that, he is most glorified when we are most satisfied in him. God isn't most glorified when we're scared to death thinking he's Zeus raining down hellfire on our head. That's not how God is glorified. God isn't even glorified whenever we sing on Sunday morning. He is most glorified when we, as his creation, is most satisfied in him. And what Ephesians, oh, what Ephesians, we're going to Ephesians in a minute. What Psalm 67 really walks us through is what that looks like. And at the chapel, this is what we're all about. And you heard Kristen said earlier, you heard Tori said in the video, we exist. The sole purpose of why we're here is to help people meet, know, and follow Jesus, to become most satisfied in him so he can be most glorified. That's our mission. It wraps up in our values, but it's also our 10-year vision, which you probably heard this a hundred times, but I'm going to say it again because it's so critically important. God has called us to maximize our growth capacity so that we can maximize 
our sending capacity. Very simple statement that's very loaded when it comes to words because maximizing our growth capacity isn't just having more people attend services. That is a growth, a growth in breadth of width, the amount of people, but also the depth that we have as followers of Jesus. Like you heard earlier, we gather in worship, we grow in groups, we serve the local church in the city, and we go. That's what it means to grow as followers of Jesus, what it means to fall in love with him, enjoy him, be satisfied in him, and ultimately glorify him, which leads us so that, there's a little phrase again, we maximize our sending capacity onto the campus of LSU, into the city of Baton Rouge, when the city comes to us this week, and ultimately all the way around the world. Everything we do hinges on this, and you're going to see all of it wrapped up today in Psalm chapter 67. So if you will, turn with me in your Bible. If not, you can jump on the Version Bible app, or you can cheat and just look at the screen like I'm going to do in just a minute. Psalm 67, starting in verse 1. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us so that your ways may be known on the earth and your salvation among all nations. And for us to actually praise God, we see the first step is for us to actually know God. And our first point today is make, may God be known. May he be understood among all the peoples of the world. May God be known. May he be understood. May he be experienced by all the peoples of the world. Now, what does it mean to be known? This isn't just knowing about someone, knowing about something. I know a lot about Chris Pratt. I know a lot about the terminal list that just came out on Amazon Prime. I haven't watched it yet. I've read the books. I don't know if it's really risque. Don't judge me. I haven't watched it yet. I know a lot about him. I know who's married to, how many kids he's got. I know him from Parks and Rec, some of the greatest acting he's ever done. I know all about him, but do I know him? No. Many of us know about God. We know his birthday. We know Jesus' mama. We know where he was born. We know his life story to the point of kind of being Jesus creepers rather than Jesus followers. We know about him, but we don't actually know him. So what does God want to be known about him? He tells us in Psalm 67, 1 and 2. The first one is this. He wants us to know his grace. He wants us to know his grace. Look at, look at verse 1, Psalm 67. And may God be gracious to us, and bless us. God wants us to understand his grace because if we understand his grace, we truly begin to know him. But if we're going to be honest, the word grace or just the concept of grace is really hard to grasp at times and really hard to understand because grace is something that is completely undeserved. It's completely unmerited. And in our culture, especially Western Christianity and in America, grace is hard to comprehend. Because the generations that came before us, and even some of us now, we were taught, taught to work hard, put in the time, put in the work, and then you will get what you deserve. And generations of my age and younger have kind of drifted from that teaching, and it's, you deserve everything. I mean, you're entitled to it, you're privileged to it, it's all yours. And culture teaches that based off of the on-demand culture we live in. And it's not just on-demand as far as you can stream anything, anytime, anywhere, but it's also on-demand success. All you need is a funny dog. You get on TikTok, you're famous, right? It automatically just happens. Or even in politics, no longer is it you serve your local people and then you serve the state and then you begin to move national. Now it's just have a good slogan and a kind of, man, a little bit of crunchy stuff on social media and all of a sudden you're a senator. Like no longer is it you actually begin to put in the work. You just deserve it. And either way you stand on either one of those issues, you either work for it and you deserve it or you just get it because you deserve it, that misses grace completely. Because the moment you step into deserve, 
you miss grace because grace is getting what you don't deserve. Because really, when we look at Scripture, what we do deserve is the wrath of God. It is actually this holy, heavenly Father pouring out His wrath on us because we ran away and because we're dead in our sin. We deserve hell, but God gives us, through His grace, something completely different. We see this in Ephesians chapter 1. Verse 3. And we're going to be with a lot of Paul today, and Paul is extremely wordy, so just kind of bear with me here. He says, Praise be to God, which I love. He's talking about worshiping our Father, just like Psalm 67. Praise be to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. Again, all about blessing here, but it's for a purpose. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he redestined us for the adoption of sonship through who? Jesus Christ. In accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace. There's our word. Which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Grace isn't earned. Grace is given. And why is grace given? For God's glory. And Paul gets really clear and specific in chapter 2, verse 8. He says this, For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. What does God want us to know about Him, which in turn bring worship in our lives and the life of the world? He wants us to know His grace. While we were helpless, hopeless, and dead in our sin, God said, you know what? I'm going to love you so much. I'm going to give you something you don't deserve. And the moment we begin to understand His grace, we can't help but respond in worship. So he wants us to see his grace, but he also wants us to see his favor. He wants us to see his favor, which is close to grace, but it's a little bit off kilter. Look at verses one and two. It says, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us. And we're thinking, what in the world is this? does that mean? Like God's a pregnant mama and her face is, his face is glowing? Like what does it mean for the face to shine upon us? Well, we see this in Numbers chapter 6, verses 24 through 26. And this is the blessing of Aaron. And actually a blessing I pray over our baby girl Abigail every night. And I pray over couples whenever I perform their wedding ceremony. It says, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turns his favor and his face towards you. And he gives you peace. Well, what, what this is referencing here is anytime a king would look down at his citizens back in this day, it was usually a look of disgust of, how dare you, peasant? Like it's whenever I take my, my little girl's toys away from her, she looks at me with disgust, like I'm a peasant. Like, what are you doing? That's not what this is. This is a king looking down as a father with, I'm going to do whatever it takes for you to have what you need, what you don't deserve, and even above and beyond. That's what it means for his face to shine on us. But this isn't talking about just a king back in the ancient days. This is actually pointing us to the coming of Christ. God's face shining on us, these were people hoping in expectation that one day God would send the Messiah. For us, we've already seen it, we've seen it play out. And we see this in John chapter 1, verses 4 through 5, talking about Christ. In him was life. That's, that's the happy face of God. In him was life, and that life was light, the, the light, the life was the light of all mankind. It is that shining of face. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So just talking about the coming of Jesus, not just that we're going to have life and happiness in life, but that we will actually have victory over the darkness through Christ. Jesus himself says it this way in John chapter 8, verse 12. So when Jesus spoke again to the people, and this is after he just had this interaction with the religious people who were judging this lady, and they were guilty too. I love this interaction. He says this, 
I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Because Jesus is the light that allows us to overcome the darkness. But even deeper we see with Paul in Colossians chapter 1. And again, this is really wordy, but we're going to see Jesus isn't just light, but he's life. And Jesus is not just part of the face of God. He is the face of God. And giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of what? Light is what shines. For he has rescued us, I love this, from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son that he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of the sins. The Son is, not part of, not showing, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. If you want to know what the face of God looks like, simply look at Christ. For in him all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, or the thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. I love this. He made it for himself. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the face, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. 19 and 20. For God was pleased. That's why his face is shining. He was pleased to have all the fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. What does God want people to know about him? He wants them to know Jesus, that we are rescued from death in Jesus. We remain in life through Jesus. We rest for eternity in Jesus. Jesus. That's what God wants us to know. All the peoples of all the nations, what he wants us to know about him. But it's not just those two things. It's lastly, it's this. He wants us to know the salvation of all nations. Salvation of all nations. Look at the end of verse 2. So that, there's a word again, so that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all the nations. Now this might wreck some of your theology or doctrine, but God is not just the God of America. Sorry, like he is, but that's not where he stops. He's not just the God of Israel. Is Israel God's chosen people? Yes. Are we Israel? No, we're still all God's children. But is he just the God of the saved people? Is he just the God of the white people? Is he just the God of the brown people? Is he just the God of the tiger fans or the mammoth fans or all other sinners? Is he just the God of those people? No, he is the God of all nations. And the moment we cease to see God as a God of all nations, we cease to see God. Guys, if we put God in a box, we're worshiping a God that is too small, too limited, not God. But if we see a God who is God among all nations, we begin to see who he truly is. And this salvation isn't just for those of us who are privileged enough to hear the gospel and have access to it. It is for everyone to have a chance to come and know him. Which means that blessing that we so seek in life is with a purpose. God blesses us for this purpose for his glory among the nations. Now, is there anything wrong asking God for blessing? Absolutely not. I asked God to bless me with a great wife. He did. I asked God to bless me with the cutest little baby girl. He did. I asked God for her to remain single the rest of her life. I'm not sure about that yet, but I asked God for all these blessings, right? Like I asked God for all the different things. Nothing wrong with that as long as we attach this purpose to it. God gives us blessings for a purpose. We are not the end. We are the means to his end of his glory among the nations, which means if we want to live a blessed life, we live a life that is about his glory. You want to live a blessed life? 
be about his glory. Start with the kingdom. Start with the nations, and God will indeed bless. And Jesus said this incredibly well. Imagine that, Jesus saying something really well. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, his glory, his purposes, and all these things will be given to you as well. You want to bless life? Be about the kingdom. Now, is this, all right, I'm going to do what God wants me to do, and then I get to have whatever I want to have? Not the case, because if you're about the kingdom, if you're about our Heavenly Father, the blessings you want are blessings with a purpose, blessing to then go and share the glory of God amongst the nations. And the reason why this is so important to us in Scripture is, yes, because Scripture tells us to, because there are a mass majority of people in this world who don't know about the glory of God. There's a mass majority of people who don't not only don't know the name of Jesus, don't know what he can do for them. There are many nations that are not worshiping our God. I'm going to put a website here on the screen, joshuaproject.net. You can look at it now. I wouldn't recommend that, or you're not going to hear anything else I say, which some of you might not anyway. But I want you to go there after this service. It begins to give real-time data of what it looks like to where the gospel is accessible. And I want you to see, when you open up this page, you're going to see 42.5% of people groups in this world have no access to the life-changing, eternity-changing gospel of Jesus. 42.5%. This intersection and the first two rows, no access to the gospel. No one has it in their language. There's no scripture in the language. There is no preacher. There is no access to Jesus. 3.34 billion people don't have access to this. Should that be a motivation for us? Absolutely. But the motivation here, guys, isn't that there are 3.34 billion people going to hell if we don't tell them. That's a huge process. Very close, number two. The number one is the glory of God. God tells us, I want worshipers in every tribe, tongue, nation. If we start with him, that's the motivation that lasts. And if we start with that motivation, God-centered, Christ-centered, then those people whose eternity will be changed, then they become a byproduct of his glory. Because desperately there are people, 42.5% of this world have no access. And if we're about God's glory, we're about them knowing him. Yes, for their eternity, but ultimately for his name's sake. But it's not just that that we need to see and better salvation. We see, guys, that he calls us to go so that people can respond in praise and ultimately to enjoy him. Look at verse three through five. I love this. May the peoples praise you, God. And you're going to see God really wants to be praised because he says it over and over. May the peoples praise you, God. May the peoples praise you. May the nations be what? Glad and sing for joy. For you rule the peoples with equity and God, the nations of the earth. May the peoples praise you, God. May the peoples praise you. So does God want to be known? Yes. But this is about to rock some of your world. God also wants to be enjoyed by the peoples of the world. That shocks some of you. I see some of your faces every Sunday. Like stone statues. I'm like, can we enjoy something here? Like God made us to enjoy him. God made us to engage with him. Yet we don't. And the problem isn't that we don't know how to enjoy things. We know how to enjoy things. Look at the crazies on Saturday night in Death Valley. We know how to enjoy things. Ladies, if you ever get a dress with pockets, you know how to enjoy things, right? Everyone will know. You do CrossFit, everyone will know. Like, we can absolutely depend on those things. We know how to enjoy. 
We know how to engage. We know how to love and experience things. But when it comes down to God, we don't even know how to enjoy him. We choose not to. And we've been taught not to. I grew up in a church, in a sect, in a denomination, whatever you want to call it, that would tell you what not to do instead of what you have freedom to do. Don't party. Don't dance. Don't drink. Don't date girls that do or might want to, right? And for sure, don't laugh in church. Don't enjoy God. Be scared to death the whole entire time. And no, what glorifies God the most? We enjoy Him. We're most satisfied in Him. He's not enjoyed by us whenever we're scared to death of Him. He enjoys us when we enjoy Him. I love the way the Westminster Catechism puts it this way. It says, The chief end of man, the purpose, why we exist is this, to worship God, enjoy Him forever. Can you imagine if that was our mission statement in life? Here's a hint. It can be. Worship God and enjoy Him forever. Because when we enjoy Him, when we're most satisfied in Him, that is when He is most glorified. Because God came to this earth so we might know Him. He created us not because He was lonely. He created us for His glory and in turn our enjoyment of Him. And I know this is extremely difficult for some of us because some of us can be naturally negative. Some of us can, be, um, can choose to be negative. Some of us can really have a hard time with what this means. But I want to put a graph of, of what this looks like on the screen. Whenever we worship God, when we show up, we enjoy Him. And when we enjoy Him, we begin to worship God. This is really complicated. I don't know if you all can understand this. If we worship God, we enjoy Him. If we enjoy Him, we begin to worship Him, which, which means, and this is where it gets a little bit practical, if we're not enjoying God, then we're not doing this. This is something we can choose to do. If you're a counselor or psychologist in the room, you know this. You can never feel your way into an action, but you can indeed act your way into a feeling. Just show up. Just worship God and you will begin to enjoy. And we talked about this a few weeks ago and taste and see that God is good in, in Psalm chapter 34. But what are we talking about? We talked about extolling God, magnifying Him. That's where we look at God being big and we pull out our binoculars or telescope. It's not changing how big God is. It's changing our frail little broken eyes to see who God truly is on scale. When we show up and worship Him, we see Him for who He is and we can't help but enjoy Him. Because this is what God wants to be known. This is how God wants to be understood. This is how we enjoy God. And don't get me wrong, are there things that are enjoyable on this earth? absolutely. I can't wait tonight. We're making homemade pizza. I'm made to enjoy that thing. I love my relationship with my wife. I love my relationship with my little daughter. I love all of you. I enjoy some of you. Like, I enjoy these things of life. But we have to understand, and Jonathan Edwards would say it this way, the things we enjoy on this earth are but a drop. God is the ocean. He is meant to be enjoyed, but not just by us. Not just by us gathering on Sunday morning, but also all the peoples. Look, look at Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. And this is the revelation that John has this dream while he's on the island of Patmos in prison. And this is where Christ takes him to the end and said, this is what it's going to look like when all things are done. He said, after this I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one can count. Even you smart accountants in the room, you could not keep up. Because why? From every nation, tribe, people, and language. Not just people from Louisiana, not just people from East Baton Rouge, 
and not just people from America, every tribe, nation, tongue, people, and language, standing before the throne, before the Lamb. And they were wearing white robes, and they were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, what? Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. As God desires for every tribe, tongue, nation, to sing for His glory, and ultimately, to enjoy Him forever. You want, to be a, you want to live a blessed life? Be about his mission. Now, before we dive into verses 6 and 7, which is really good, I want to go back to verses 3 through 5, and really I want to go back to verse 4. So, man, I'm going to jump back to, to verse 4 again. I want to notice this. May the nations be glad and sing for joy. We kind of got that so far. For you rule the peoples with equity, with fairness, with justice, and you, God, or you rule the nations of the earth. Now, when we read this from our 21st century westernized, Americanized Christianity perspective, we're like, of course God is in control. Of course we want him to rule us and to be in charge of us. But back in the day when this was written 3,000 years ago, these would be people outside of Christianity, outside of the nation of Israel, looking and saying, okay, I want what Israel has. They're blessed. There's something special. Someone's taking care of them. I want their ruler. I want him to come in and rule me, guide me, tell me what to do, because I want the blessing they have. The thing is, we don't have to go back 3,000 years ago to look at people in the world wanting this right here. We can just go back this century or the 20th century when we look at the human experiment of Mao Zedong in China, where between 35 and 45 million people died of starvation and in revolts because they did not have a leader who guided them or ruled them fairly. We look at people like Stalin, where between six and nine million people were killed. We look at people like Hitler, where tens of millions of people were killed. And we don't have to look back 50, 60, 70 years ago. We can look modern day, where Maoism is still alive in our world, in Venezuela, in Cuba, part of Puerto Rico, in the Philippines, in Korea, not even to touch the Middle East. People are begging for a leader for God to rule them with equity, to rule them with guidance, to rule them with justice. And if you've only lived in America, this is something hard to grasp because we have freedom. We have a ruler that is really outside of ourselves and outside of government, and we're able to look and see we have the freedom to worship God if you're a follower of Christ. Because when we look around in our world, the world is begging for this. And if we're honest, as we're looking at the 4th of July celebrating our freedom tomorrow, America is not too far from becoming this. Because we don't naturally drift towards the Lord. We naturally drift away. And drift happens over time, over time, over time. But guys, America has done a couple centuries worth of drift in just the past couple decades. And we've done a couple decades worth of drift in just the past two years. So when we celebrate our freedom tomorrow, do I want us to thank God for that? Absolutely. But I hope it is a recentering of us being a nation that is centered on God being our ruler, on God being our king, on God dealing with us justly. But, but looking at it from a national perspective is not where we start. It starts on an individual level. Because individuals who are ruled by God become families who are ruled by God. Families who are ruled by God become churches who are ruled by God. Churches who are ruled by God become nations who are ruled by God. And nations who are ruled by God become nations that bless other nations with the message of God. So you want to celebrate something tomorrow? Celebrate the freedom we have in Christ and respond appropriately with worship. Verse 6. 
The land yields its harvest. God, our God, blesses us. May God bless us still. Again, there's our word. So that all the ends of the earth will fear him. All the ends of the earth will fear him. So what are we trying to understand from this? That not just will God be known, not just will he be enjoyed, that he would be worshipped among all the peoples of the world. This is the end all, be all, that all nations will worship him. Now, there's, there's an interesting illustration here in verses 6 and 7. It talks about land, talks about producing a harvest. Now, we're not necessarily an agrarian culture anymore, but back in the day, they would understand this. And they would understand that, that Israel was the illustration here of the land, that all the nutrients were there and needed to grow. And God had planted the seed of salvation. He planted the seed of his knowledge into them. And because of that, it grew. It created a harvest to be shared with all of the world. And I want you to think about that illustration. What would happen if the land decided, yeah, we're going to swallow that blessing of the seed and all of our nutrients, and we're just going to keep it to ourselves. Imagine if you have a little garden in your backyard, you plant all this corn seed, which is so expensive right now, and you plant it and nothing grows. You'd be pretty mad, wouldn't you? I'd be ticked off. I'd be showing back a tractor supply and be like, dude, what, what, what kind of corn did you give me? Right? Like, we'd be totally upset. But the reality is the land swallowed it and didn't share it. Well, guys, as the modern church, we're the land that's swallowing the blessing God has given us. He has blessed us so that we might bless others, so that the world might be filled with his glory. Look at Isaiah 43, verse 7. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created again for my glory. Because they can't, they can't glorify whom they don't know. And they can't know unless we go. And we can't go unless we have internalized God's glory. We can't share what we don't have. And if you're under the age of 25, we can't upload what we have not downloaded. We cannot take the glory of God to those who desperately need it unless we go. We have so internalized, we've so swallowed up that blessing and kept it to ourselves that the nations, they don't know. And honestly, there's, there's no excuse for us not to be reaching every tongue, nation, tribe, and person on this planet because technology is no longer an issue. It's a help. You can travel anywhere in the world in less than 30 hours. You can learn any language due to translation. We have couples on the ground right now that have learned Mandarin in less than two years and are now learning the language of people groups that have no access to the gospel in just a matter of years, no longer decades, no longer centuries. We have no excuse. But what's holding us back? We are not individually worshiping. We are not individually responding to Christ. Paul, again, puts it this way in Romans chapter 12. Therefore, and that word therefore is loaded. That's 11 chapters of God's glory, God's goodness, and God's salvation. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, or if you read the King James, the King Jimmy, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. I love that. In view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Why? This is your true and proper worship. Why does missions exist? Because true worship doesn't. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. What does it mean to worship God? What does it mean to be on mission? What does it mean to share his glory? Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Not just your Sunday mornings, not just your checkbook or your debit card or credit card or crypto, whatever people do these days. Not just that. Everything spiritually, emotionally, physically, intellectually, influence, resources, time, offer it all to him. 
because he is the one who gave it to us in the journal. And when we offer it to him, we fulfill our mission. We fulfill the fact that we were blessed by God to be a blessing to the nations. We were blessed by God to be a blessing to the nations. I don't know about you. I want that. I want God to bless me. But he will only do it if I'm ready, willing, offer my body, my whole life to be a sacrifice to him. So what, so what, is that, what does that look like? I think it plays out practically in our life in a couple, couple different ways. One, um, it does it generationally. If you are young in the room, if you're young and you're single, you have a, a unique way to live this out. Because when it comes to the mission of God, we are either a sender or we are a goer. There is no in-between. We're either a sender or a goer, and if you're not doing either one of those, you're not truly following God. Being a young, single person, you have an opportunity that many of us don't have. You have time. You have freedom. You have flexibility. You can be a goer. Many of you are called to be a goer. Some of you aren't. But if you're not called to be a goer, you're called to be a sender. If you're young, you can be a blessing to the nation by going yourself. If you're like me and you're, you're young-ish, but you have a family, you're married, you're a little bit more tied down, we have a unique way to do this. Some of us can still go. God is calling some of us to go. But also, we can start something very, very small that could bring results. We could begin to tell and teach our children what it means for God to be a God of the nations. We cannot do what happened to me and be about 30 years old and finally find out, oh my gosh, God's not the God of America. He's the God of the nations. When I finally take perspectives after Steve hounding me for five years, like we don't have to wait until that happens. We can teach our kids now, God is a God of Baton Rouge. God is a God of Louisiana. God is a God of America, but God is a God of the nations. You're uniquely positioned to teach your kids, but also you have influence of those that are being sent you're a step ahead of them. Coach them on what it means to be married. Coach them on what it means to have a family. Coach them on what it means to follow God through the trials you have in those first seven years of marriage. Or maybe, maybe you're middle-aged. You might not want to admit it, but you're middle-aged. It's just a fact of life. You're going to get there one of these days. Your kids might be still in the house. You have influence over them. Or your kids might be out of the house. You have a unique position because you're in a place where you have real-world experience. You have life experience. You can influence people who are being sent, and they will listen to you. The gray in your hair will cause people to listen to you. The little white sprigs I have here don't cause people to listen to me. People will listen to you. You have influence. Use that wisdom to push them. You also probably have more financial freedom to support them. It, it costs money to send people to the nations. It costs sacrifice. You have resources to be able to do that. You have homes and cars, and whenever people come back to take a break, you can take care of them be a blessing to the nations. And the last demographic or some that many people feel like if they're in this demographic, they're forgotten about, you're not. This is what I call the wisdom generation. I would, I'm way too wise to call you old, but this is the wisdom generation. The people, as, as Abraham would say, are well upon in years. Guys, you, God is not done with you. You have more gray than all of us. You have more experience than all of us. You have more wisdom than all of us. You have a life of following Jesus for decades that some of us can't even dream about Use it for the glory of God. Use it to send. Use it to go here locally. Use it to glorify Him. But all of us, what can we do? We can all pray. We can all pray that God would either send us or that God would use us to send others. Because there is no excuse. If we truly want to follow God, we truly follow God as the God of the nations. If we truly want to worship God, we truly worship a God who is God of the nations. If we truly want to enjoy God, we truly want to enjoy a God of all the nations. And the reason why we're able to enjoy him 
is what was promised in Psalm 67, but what we saw on the cross 2,000 years ago and what we get to celebrate one day in Revelation chapter 5. So I'm going to invite the, the band to make their way up. And as they do, I want to read what gives us hope. I want to read what causes us to enjoy God forever, what causes us to want to worship Him, what causes us to trust that the story of God is still the story of the world, to trust that God is still in control. This is a vision that, again, John had of what was going to happen in the end times. And this will set us up for communion. This is Revelation chapter 5. And then I saw on the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides, <clears throat> sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and to open the scroll? But no one in heaven, on earth, or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside of it. And this is John speaking. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. And then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, just see, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. Not that he will. He has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. And I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which were the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding the golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased for God persons, notice, persons from every tribe, language, and people, and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard a voice of the many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders in a loud voice were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. What we just sang in our second song. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea, and all that is within them, saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Father, I pray that we would just rightly see you. God, too often we can focus not just on self, but God, on people. And Lord, people are desperately important because they're incredibly important to you. But God, we can't rightly see, serve, or love people if we don't rightly see you. I pray today, Lord, that our perspective has shifted, not from the chaos of this world, but to the shining face of Jesus Christ. God, that we would truly know you, that we would truly enjoy you, and ultimately, we would truly worship you. And God, I pray first and foremost that that would start here and now in this room. God, I pray that would start in my head, in my heart, in my hands, and through my voice. God, that I would worship you, that I would glorify you, that I would enjoy you in such a way, Lord, that it would be proclaimed to those around me. 
God, I pray for the same for the people in this room. God, that they would be awakened to your goodness. They would be awakened to your glory. And God, it would cause them to fall down and worship. God, I pray that you would awaken this church, that you would awaken this city, that you would awaken this nation. God, even more so, I pray that you would use us to awaken the nations, that you would use us as your jars of glory to go out and be broken before them so your light may shine before them. God, I pray that we see your God, not just of us, not just of this place, this state, this nation, but you're God of all peoples, and we're called to play a part in that. God, today, may you be glorified. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks for joining us. To find out more about the chapel, visit thechapelbr.com.